Hello, listeners. At the time of this recording, it is March 17th, 2021. Uh, Last night in Atlanta, you're probably familiar with the shootings that happened that resulted in the deaths of six Asian American women. This is a tragedy, and it is hard for me to really compress, and (laughs) I'm creating this uh, introduction to this episode of The Mental Vegan right now, just out of a sense of duty and fear in case anything were to happen to me as an Asian American living here in California as well. My guest for this podcast is Moni, who is the owner of a vegan dim sum business called Inomoni, um, based out in the LA area. Obviously, I wish that this tragedy did not happen, but it did. But I wish that I would have had the opportunity to discuss with Moni, who is also of Chinese descent like I am, you know, our thoughts about this horrible thing that happened. But we recorded our interview uh, about a week and a half ago, so I don't have any of her input on this. But I want all my listeners to know that things are going to be okay. We're safe, we're strong, and things will turn out for the best. Okay, so with that, um, sorry for being emotional. Um, It will probably get even more emotional as I talk to Moni about some of the more concerning issues that we have in common as Asian Americans, particularly Chinese Americans. We have a similarity that we can talk about, and boy, do we talk about it. Okay. So thank you for listening as always, and without further ado, let's get on with the episode. Okay, hello, Mental Vegan listeners. Today I'm joined by a special guest, Moni, who is the owner of... I never learned how to pronounce her business name, actually. Eno Moni? Uh, yes, that's correct. Yes. Eno Moni. Eno Moni, which is an LA-based uh, vegan dim sum restaurant, or... Uh, food business yeah I think we met about two years ago or so and I had been a I'd been like a a big fan of your food and I've been going back to her for um, pickups usually like at vegan food fairs it's just been hard to do so with the pandemic and also I'm based kind of a little farther away Um, Moni is out in LA I think you do the North Hollywood. Um. Yeah, uh, I was that started up for a little bit, and then now it's like kind of on pause because um, uh, the organizer wanted to be safe and she wanted to do the drive-through style, but mm-hmm. it's just not quite. It's a whole different system, so there were a lot of challenges on top of it. Just it just couldn't be as big as it was at Vegan Exchange, so she's currently waiting on. Um, Trying to uh, wait for the street fair events to be approved by the city again. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of what's happening. So yeah, I'm kind of, 
for a second I was all over, but I've, I've been kind of exhausted because I was going to like Corona um, on certain Saturdays. Um, at one point I went to like Van Nuys to do a pop-up and then I'm regularly, my kitchen prep is regularly at East LA, so I allow people to pick up from there. And then I do um, a lot of Fridays in mid Wilshire. So I've been kind of around and um, it is like a one woman owned business. I have some help, but um, even then there's just like so much to do in this type of like handmade food yeah. um, business. So there's just a lot that I'm currently like, and it, it's affected my mental health too. Mm. I'm just like overworking myself and feeling like the pressure of needing to fulfill and like please everyone. Um, so I'm currently right now like transitioning into a break just to like give myself mm -hmm. like, you know, some, some rest and really figure out how I want to handle my business. Going yeah, forward. I have to say as um, as a vegan for 10 plus years now um, and being of mostly Chinese descent, finding your um, food was it definitely made a positive impact on my mental health. Because I know that, yeah, because yeah, I share your food all the time whenever I have it on Instagram, which it hasn't, it has been a while, but it's just because I'm, I'm pretty far away from where you are, but uh -huh. yeah, but I'm definitely going to go back when things cool down with the coronavirus. Sure. So yeah, that's funny that you should say that. Um, I recently, um, uh, one of my customers, like she recently found me and she told me that it's been six years since she had dim sum. I'm not sure when she went vegan, but six years since she's had dim sum in general. And um, she she did a little mukbang and she was like really emotional because it's just like, I think dim sum is such a, it's such a nostalgic food because it, there's so much of it that's tied to our, like our memories mm -hmm. of you know, good times with family, not just like the taste of the food and the experience. Yeah. But yeah, like she was having like the same kind of like bad um, mental health week, and she said that that also brought up. Yeah, it's for me too. Like my family and I are not very close in terms of friendliness. I think that's a common thing in a lot of Asian households where your family or your parents are <laughs> sort of like dictating you a lot. But every Sunday or Saturday or so, we would let that go by, for me, going to Chinatown or Monterey Park, where my much more Chinese, uh, my much more culturally Chinese relatives live, my cousins, my grandparents, and we would all get together. And I would learn a lot more about uh, Chinese food. And yeah, it is a nostalgic food. It is, it's, dim sum is literally my comfort food. It was my comfort yeah. food. And you know, it, it was really cool to have that again after so long because after going vegan, um, you realize in, you know, in my culture, in our culture, we, there, you can veganize a lot of food, but a lot of food, I think kind of, I think our like Chinese diets and that's really broadly speaking, cause China is such a diverse and large country. And I don't think we're even the same type of Chinese. Like I'm Dietju. Like my family is like Chinese Cambodian. Oh, okay. I'm actually uh, part Dietju too on my dad's side. Oh, Gagi so, Nan. Yeah. Okay, cool. So we're all right. Cool. We're cousins then. <laughs> yeah, we have a we have a shared. That's really cool. So, 
Yeah, I didn't even I didn't even know about that word until really recently. I just learned about what the Achu meant because my my um, ancestors are from Shantou, which I'm probably not even pronouncing that name right because I'm very Americanized. So, what was it like when you turned vegan, like for your family? Because my family uh, really did not did not approve. Yeah, well, it it wasn't bad because honestly, I was um, I'm only vegan for five years now. Yeah, five years. Um, but I was I was like seventeen. Like I think I'm nineteen years vegetarian. Mm -hmm. So I was vegetarian for quite a bit of time before I turned vegan, and um, I actually went vegetarian the same time as my sister. And my mom was already vegetarian for like seven years before me. Oh wow! So it was actually through her influence because um, she she believes like in Taoism. So and then before that, it was like like I think a lot of um, Chinese immigrants from like. I guess the Vietnam area, which is where my mom came from. She was born and raised in Vietnam, and it's like she calls it Confucianist Buddhism. It's like a little bit mix of both, because it's not full-on Buddhism where you go to the temples and learn all the sutras, but it's like it's Confucianist teachings of like filial piety and all those things, coupled with worship, like you know, just. Traditional worship, monthly worship, and things like that. Yeah.、And、so she do that, and she felt like, in a way, it was just traditional and ritual, but like she didn't quite understand. Like there was, in like in her upbringing, there wasn't a lot of studying of the teachings of Buddha.、Um, and when she moved to the states,、um, and、um, my dad passed after some time, she was just like a little lost. And a friend reached out and like. Introduced her to Tao, and so she was like learning more about that. And then it was at that time with her group of friends in Tao that、um, they really talked more about compassion. Yeah, and、uh, she decided to go vegetarian.、Mm. There was um, I there was a、uh, there is a vegan、uh, Chinese restaurant near where I live called the Veggie Walkery, and the previous owners were. Uh, devout members of a Taoist temple, and they actually invited me. They kind of shanghaied me.、Um, they said we're having an event、um, with a vegetarian dinner, and we'd like to invite you because I was、um, uh, a regular customer, and also Chinese, and I didn't realize that it was a religious thing, and I was sort of roped into this Taoist thing. Even though in my family, my parents、um, instead of Vietnam, they immigrated to Cambodia, and Cambodia is a very Buddhist. Country, and so my family isn't. We're more. It's more embedded in our culture, where we do go to temple, but only for very special occasions. Unless, if unless if you're like my grandmother, elderly people will go pretty regularly. But besides that, the main thing I was taught was just karma. Like 
um, reincarnation, things like that. I think that there's a very good blend amongst the major Eastern philosophies, Buddhism, Taoism, and Confucianism. Like, I've read The Tao of Pooh, and in that book, even though it's written by a Westerner, it does bring on a lot of similarities between the three with a focus on Taoism. And it was really cool, though, that... Because it was really interesting because my family, because they're... They grew up in um, the last generations of my family grew up in Cambodia. They had um, a very heavy meat diet, which I thought was really strange when I told them I'm going uh, vegetarian, uh, which only lasted a month, and then I became a vegan for ever. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they thought it was they thought it was strange. Like you can't be healthy on this. Built you already have health conditions. Um, our family doesn't eat this way. And I thought, yeah, but this seems like good karma to me to inflict as less harm as possible. So I think it's really cool that your family had like a very, you know, supportive background and maybe, you know, because of the life choices or the life experiences that your mother had. I don't see anything like that happening with my family. Oh, are they still not supportive of it? Um, well, now that I'm an adult and I can just prepare my own food they understand but every time we have a family gathering i eat beforehand i know i'm not going to eat anything there except fruit and maybe a drink or so um but to this point they're still it's just oh there's the wacky cousin billy who is a vegan (laughs) yeah i mean yeah it is tough when you don't have even like one other person to go with um to events like that um it's interesting because I felt like um, it was easy in the immediate family because um, obviously we, we lived together and my mom did most of the cooking at the time when we were all like vegetarian and same household. But like we did get like some comments and I guess still to this day there's like a few people in the family who are like heavy meat eaters who are like, I'll never try that, you know, which is... To me, it's like really offensive in a way. I'm like, you don't want to even try. You don't even know if it's good. But it's. I feel like some people have this bias. Like, if it's not real meat, I don't want it. Like, even though they'll eat like vegetable dishes that don't have meat in it. And tofu. Just some weird, um, some weird thing in their head that like, if it's like imitation meat, it's like somehow, somehow this weird like foreign item. Yeah. Which, yeah, I guess so. I, I, I don't want to say it's xenophobic because vegans are literally everywhere, like in the world, in every country. So I think it's, I think it has to do with tradition. They don't, you know, I, which to me is strange because tradition changes. Like, you know, I'm still eating, you know, I try my best to veganize the foods of my culture as best as I can. It's a little hard to do so. And I grow, and I grew up in a, you know, we grew up in America, which is a very diverse country. So I grew up eating Mexican food and Mexican American food and um, Ethiopian food and Indian food and all this other stuff. So to me, you know, I'm, I'm eating like this, this food that I grew up with, but I'm changing it. But at the same time, traditions change over time as well. Like, I'm sure the the same like dim sum food. I'm sure it's evolved over time. 
not just not just with you like with you it directly evolved like into a vegan version but i'm sure dim sum overall throughout history you know shumai wasn't always the same maybe um, i could yeah that's definitely a possibility i had a whole conversation about like um the idea of authenticity doesn't fully exist like because people are like oh is it authentic though is that authentic chinese food but i was like well if you're really thinking about it there's so many years of history of chinese food that like I mean, what we are experiencing now may be a form, and some things maybe have been passed on from very early China years. But in a sense, it's it's all been fused. And um, in China alone, there's just so, so many different types of like cultures and people and what they eat in different regions. So, I mean, there's it's always changing. I think. Yeah. Something that influences my mental health a lot is um, helping my family's restaurant. We own a Chinese fast food business, which is heavily meat ridden. But yeah. my parents are getting older. I am studying right now to go into graduate school. So when I have, when they need me, I help them. And it is sad to me to serve meat, even though I never eat anything there. But that that's that's another thing that came into topic like over and over again like is this authentic chinese food and it comes to the it comes to your definition of like what do you mean by authentic because chinese people who came to america invented this food like if i were i'm chinese um chinese american chinese cambodian american but if i were to create a dish that was completely original you know it's not authentic Chinese food because it's a brand new dish, but is it considered Chinese because a Chinese person made it? What if I was in China when I made this dish and it became a hit? Is it now I authentic? Question. Yeah. Um. Not sure. I really have an opinion on that right now. But yeah, it's definitely something interesting to think about. But I feel like it's more. It's more about like origins and like where it comes from, like the inspiration. Because um, I feel like we only can reference things that we've already known. Like, I mean, it's just very hard to one day just like conjure up like all this produce that came from like in a way nowhere, you know? Cause like other than like, it could be like lab, completely new lab created um, food. But otherwise it's like, if you're using majority like Asian spices and Asian produce, then I would say that like that usually in a way leans more towards like the Asian cuisine, mm -hmm. or at least that's how people would like to view it. And then if you do it with a spin and you'll be like, oh, it's, it's like, it's majority like Asian inspired with a, like Italian twist, mm. like, because I use like such and such spices from the Italian culture. So I think that's usually like, I think that's how most people would like to categorize things. Yeah. But yeah, like for example, like I, I have several dishes that I like to call traditional or classic. It's, I wouldn't say that any of my food is traditional or classic at all. It's inspired because like just to turn anything vegan, it's hard to say that, oh, I'm like authentic because it's just so already so different to begin with. and. I've gotten some comments that like people were like, oh, it just didn't look quite like the same. And yeah, because I've, I've had to improvise or like do my own twist or 
or kind of use my own like um, aesthetic flair when plating foods or serving things. Like my siu mai has very distinct um, green peas and carrots in it. Um, that isn't very common in traditional siu mai, but it's like something that's now very characteristic of Mani siu mai. Yeah, I yeah, I did notice that when I got it, and I I I love carrots and peas. So when I when I had your food for the first time, I thought, oh, this is neat. <laughs> so, it sounds like overall, like your family's pretty supportive. Then, like yeah, they're pretty supportive. There's just like you know, there's like some people in the family, but like you know, I think yeah, I mean like yeah, of course, like my direct family, um, like we're mostly my mom and my sister are still vegetarian. My brother is like a regular meat eater. Um, but like everyone can eat vegetarian when we sit down, and my mom just has a rule like no meat in her house. Like if you're coming over to eat, it's gonna be vegetarian. So you just know that. But like she does get some kind of, like she does feel kind of insecure sometimes when like she hosts and like she's like oh I just know that your uncle from where and where like you know he's gonna make a comment he's gonna not like eat anything. But like in, at the end like my grandma started to eat. Um, less meat and like starting to buy more vet like um, the soy substitutes and stuff like that after a while of my mom um, being vegetarian. I think also it's it's partly and this is something we kind of like like buff or like learn from like Eastern philosophy or just it, like to show compassion in in general is just to like keep giving like you know like I just kept on bringing food like to all my friends and stuff and sharing. And at first, some of them were like, "Oh, what is this?" But like, as they ate it and enjoyed it, more people were just open to the possibility of vegetarianism at the time. Hmm, that's really you cool. Plant seeds, and this is sort of like a Taoist kind of like teaching. Was like, you plant seeds, and in a way, those are like small little merits of like karma. Yeah. Like you just put a positive, like start a positive seed, in, like everywhere you go. Yeah. Yeah, I I still struggle with making like Asian cuisine or Asian inspired cuisine, but you know, I I've definitely like my my re- my co-host to the show. I've uh, she was my roommate, and I was the one who influenced her like at the beginning, who at least planted the seed, and she's been a vegan for like six months now. And I have friend, I have like one good friend who's African American. And one time, one time she was living with me, so I learned a lot of traditional African American recipes. So I asked her like, "What's your favorite food?" And I made her gumbo, um, and uh, sweet potato pie, and um, Cajun potatoes, and things like that. And she realized, "Oh yeah, I can totally do this." She didn't become vegan, but now her family is just like they pretty much like cut out red meat. She realizes that it's actually. Very unhealthy for her to do so.、Um, if you'll excuse me a second, actually, my cat Roswell wants to go outside, so I'm gonna release her real quickly. All right, thank you for that. I've I always put a disclaimer like in my trailer for this podcast that that will happen. Living with a cat who likes attention, who likes. Having doors constantly open and closed is just not ideal for a podcast. But, um, but it's really cool. Like I see in my friend,、um, 
she orders like vegetarian options when we're together when we when i take her to a place that serves meat that has vegan options um because she realizes like her body like it's like it just doesn't stomach uh, red meat and poultry and things like that as often anymore and i think it's kind of like an evolutionary thing like humans are designed to be much more herbivorous even though we can consume meat yeah we're not really meant to like our teeth aren't designed to like rip like raw flesh yeah and this yeah and this is really cool too the canine teeth thing i i learned from my co-host that um i thought it was a vestigial trait from our neanderthal ancestors who ate meat but in fact it's actually meant for intimidation so that's why that's why you see yeah that's why you see primates like howling and showing off their canine teeth to scare each other to saying I can bite you. Oh, that's cool. So like, but then like, let's just say like primates that not aren't quite like evolved to the human the human state. Like, um, I guess the next one down would be like chimpanzees, and, like gorillas, but they do some of them do eat meat. So they eat insects. So they're that they have ins they they'll they consume like grubs and since those are so soft they can still consume with their molars yeah yeah that's eh, an interesting talk so you were mentioning like how your mental health has been going like amidst the pandemic i think we can all attest that it's been look we're coming up like in america like on a year now like it's march so it's officially uh, the time that we're airing this uh, that we're recording this it's March so what has it been like for you started locking down um i like to joke that it doesn't really affect me that much because i'm a naturally like introverted homebody um i'm sure it's affected me a little bit but being in like the essential food service i still had like work to do i still went out and worked and and worked on my businesses and did pop-ups so i feel like it it didn't really impact me as much. I mean, I know that there's not a lot of street fairs, but prior to um, the lockdown, I, I was doing a lot of pop-ups indoors anyway, so I kind of just continued with that. And um, so in a way, I feel like it, it just was already, the experience was already kind of similar to how I used to choose to live my life. <laughs> but, um, but I mean, there's like a lot of like other things that um, like, due to the coronavirus, like, unfortunately happened, like, my uncle fell ill, uh, not of the coronavirus, but he just couldn't get medical attention that he needed at the time, and it just, it got, um, they were kind of neglecting his, his case, and it became, like, an infection that infected his spine, and now he's paraplegic, and that was, like, a huge change that happened during the first, um, first half of lockdown, so, I actually moved in back in with my mom so we could both um, kind of share duties and being his caretaker. 
Mm. So I think partly that, that whole change really impacted me for a good while. Because it was, um, it was like probably in May, like around May that I moved back. And um, in a way, I feel like my relationship with my mom is one of the big factors in my negative mental health. It's just this dynamic we have. And, and oftentimes we don't get along and you know how family so like and then just like you know the loss of independence because i was living on my own for a while right and then moving back all those little things i think they really impacted my mental health right i think it's it's a common thing like with asian households i think for example um like to many westerners it's strange for us to like be living with our families but it's actually quite normal for us because we're very very family oriented instead of individualistically um you know individually oriented so it's not frowned down upon for me to like live with my family as well um especially if i'm contributing to things like the family business you know i'm there for my family i take care of things that my parents can't do because their english isn't the best but at the same time, I think we all know, like, you know, just Asian to Asian, you know, living with Asian, growing up with Asian parents can be very, very difficult. Yeah, I think there's like, a, sometimes there's a, a disconnect between our, um, our like, well, for me, my Chinese upbringing and the values in the Chinese culture. And it's very heavily focused on filial piety and just doing what your parents said, they're always right. Like, it's their way, um, it's their house, <laughs> their rules, <laughs> all kinds of things like that. Um, whereas like the Western culture is a lot more focused on independence, respect, like like affection in ways that I feel a lot of, um, at least a lot of the Chinese families that I've, I've kind of grown up with, like lack a little. Yeah. Like, they're more like, I provide, like you get your bare necessities <laughs> that's like what else can you ask for whereas like i think more and more with western culture and especially with the study of child development and psychology there's just a lot more like intricacies that um is getting focused on nowadays like like you know like if you don't get a lot of attention this could happen to your child as they grow older they can like develop these like personality traits that aren't um, advantageous to their like social <laughs> yeah bringing. it's quite hard like like for example in Japan how their suicide rate is so high I think it's because of things like that where they have yeah. to you know save face where they have to like represent their family as well as they can they have to be completely hardworking they can't let loose and they feel trapped and lonely and a lot of times more often than not you know compared to the rest of the world they take their own life yeah yeah and i've been down that road too because i grew up in a culture where my parents didn't want to be the stereotypical tiger parents who's you know i want you to be a doctor i want you to be a lawyer or whatever because my family were um refugees and they were just happy to be in a place where they can have a family and a place that's safer than where they came from. I'm not saying America is a safe place, uh, clearly not. But 
Um, it was... Uh, oh god, I lost my train of thought. It was them who pretty much told me, like, you know, you know, you owe us this, you owe us that, you can't do this, you can't do that. And once, I remember when I talked back to my father, it wasn't even talking back, it was just to say, Dad, I think you're wrong. Like, what you said was factual. Like, it wasn't a matter of opinion or morality. I just said, factually, I think you are wrong. It was something about probably a business or something like, um, you know, you're not allowed to do, there's a law about this or a law about that. You can't do that. And my mother took me aside after my father scolded me and said, you can't do that. You, we know you're right. And they acknowledge that, you know, you're, you're a smart kid and you were right. But as your parents, we have the final say, and we're the ones who are always right. That, that's interesting, that though, because that's funny that she admitted it, but then like was like, but you know, like on the down low, okay, we know, but like we're just all gonna agree that you're wrong, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's just so like that's funny because um, I wouldn't say that that's the dynamic in my family. So I basically my mom. My dad um, passed away when I was one, so I was raised only by my mom. And my uncle was around, and my grandma was also around because she would babysit me when my mom was at work. But my my mom, I don't know. It, it might also be because of that pressure of a single parent. Like, there's no other person you could turn to and be like, "Oh, you deal with her," you know? Like, so in a way, like she really had to be like really strong and like firm and like. I mean, it was like, we didn't really have like debates, like intellectual debates where it's like, really, I could like pull facts and research. But um, a lot of times it was just like, um, just do what I say kind of attitude. And of, of, of the Asian parents that I kind of grew up, grew up around, I would say that she was like less of a tiger mom in the sense of like, like you needed to do well in, in academically. Um, cause I was, uh, I did all right. I did okay. Um, but I wasn't like 4.6, you know, like right. two of my friends were like 4.6. I was like <laughs> 4.8, like 4.2. Uh, I mean, not 4.2, um, like 3.8. Like I would say that that's like an average, like, you know, a B plus student. Right. Um, where like all my other friends were like in honors and AP for every single subject. And I wasn't really that great at math. Like I like did like literature and English and the more creative outlets. I was more of that person, which I think in certain Asian upbringings, that's kind of strange because they don't typically encourage creative fields. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was always like the more creative inspired person. I always wanted to do something in art or, or like, you know, just definitely not math or science. Right. <laughs> I think for me, I was a very stereotypical Asian student, but since I was the firstborn in America from my family, um, they didn't know uh, how to supply me with what I wanted. I wanted piano and violin and cello lessons and guitar lessons. I wanted to um, um, learn Chinese. They took me to Mandarin school, but... We didn't speak Mandarin. My, my family, my ch- culturally Chinese family, they do speak Mandarin, but they speak it as more of a second, third, or fourth plus language. So 
that so when I when I grew up, the Chinese I heard wasn't the Chinese that I was hearing when I went to Chinese school. And that is my cat wanting to come back in. So if you'll excuse me again. <laughs> and that is her meowing at my recording station. Um, but I was put in a school that was meant for st for students who are hearing Mandarin spoken at home. My, my father speaks Mandarin, but like I said, as a fourth language or so. Yeah. And my mother spoke Cambodian along with my father. So I grew up here in Cambodian. Yeah. So it was like I was doomed to fail from the start because I have never seen any seen or heard any of this. Yeah. And my parents, they just said, we want you to do your best. But because they grew up with the upbringing that you have to be the best, you have to, you know, you have to represent the family, they would um, passive aggressively um, say things like, oh, you know, um, our family friend, their son, who's your age, or who's younger than your age, he's a doctor now. Yeah. And I, uh -huh. we know what they, I know what they mean when they say that. I got it, yeah. There's, I don't know, there's a lot of um, comparing I think in, in uh, I mean, I've noticed it in my family too, which is funny because sometimes my mom would be like, just don't compare, like don't compare, like you're just gonna make yourself miserable comparing, but it's like, it's hard to say because I, 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 I also notice comments like that where they're like, oh, so-and-so is like doing really well. It's like, why do we care? Like, cool. <laughs> I don't know. It's yeah. Weird. I have to say I'm kind of jealous because yeah, my parents, they, they did not do that. They, they definitely did their best, and they had, like, an unusual child. So, I was I was the weird kid, I was the loner, I wasn't allowed to have friends, I didn't even really want to have friends. My nose was always in a book growing up, and I was curious about learning different languages. So, out of... So, because, to, to make up for the fact that I can't speak Mandarin, I've been trying to learn Mandarin on Duolingo, but I... You know, in high school, I studied Japanese. In university, I studied French um, for fun. And right now, I'm learning Finnish just for the heck of it. Yeah, cool. And it's a bunch of... Thank you. But it's a bunch of like, you know, what am I doing? And, and sometimes that does impact my mental health because, you know, you're taught things like you should appreciate your culture. And I do want to appreciate my culture. But at the same time, it makes it a little impossible when your culture sort of, I guess, rejects you at times when it comes to things like mental health awareness and veganism. That's true. Yeah. I'm trying to think, too, because um, I had a time when high school wasn't like a great time for me because I felt um, really alienated by my friends. But I think I always kind of... Um, I always kind of leaned in the kind of depressive state ever since I was young. Like I've always been very like in my head, always overthinking from a very young age. Like I remember at age four, I was like, um, I would try to rationalize why negative things would happen 
and like um my mom would hit me um not like beat beat but like you know i guess like the way the asian spank is pretty intense sometimes um but it would be like with the like a stick like the duster or um like a mini blind the plastic mini blind um stick chopsticks flip-flops coat hangers <laughs> It's us- it was usually a stick and those like the very hard kind. Yeah. And so it would like leave like these like, I mean, it wouldn't be permanent and it would go away in like the next day. But like these like blisters basically, like when you first get like smacked, like basically whipped. It was, that's what it, it felt like. Um, and as a child, I think when I was like from four to six, she would come back up and like kind of like explain herself, be like, oh, this is sort of why I did it. And kind of in a way it felt a little bit like more reassuring and like like kind of like apology, but not an apology, but being like, like at least there was kind of like more reasoning to it. But then um, I guess as I grew older and like she, I'm sure she had a lot on her shoulders as a single mother supporting three kids. And I was the youngest. and and she would like hit me for like not practicing piano like like little things and like to me like some of the logic behind it didn't make sense like i was like it's just piano why do i have to do this um whereas like one time i had um had done something where it led to the cracking of a glass um it's like the glass top of a table so not the whole table broke it was just the glass on the top it cracked and so during while she was at work i told my sister and i was like panicking i was like what do i do i broke this table she's gonna like she's gonna kill she's gonna kill me and my sister's like and she was she's the middle child and she's more like i don't i don't want to say manipulative but she's smarter about these things and she's like okay we're just gonna get rid of the mess like clean it all up so she doesn't have to deal with it while she's at work and then we're gonna call her while she's at work tell her then not when she comes home because she, she will be forced to be in a situation where she has to remain calm. And by the time she's home, she'll be cooled down. So, like, for something like that, I didn't get, like, it for. But, like, little things like <laughs> piano and, like, you know, just, like, disrespect. Like, even, like, uh, attitude or something. Then she would, like, those, those things would really trigger her, I guess. Like, and I suppose that's, that's probably what it is, you know? Like, um why we have the temper that we have and why certain things just like send us off. And for her, it was like disrespect um, and just like insubordination, I guess. <laughs> do, you, do you think of the effects that it's had on you like in adulthood? Because um, I had just spoken with my therapist last week and, and my psychiatrist and my psychiatrist told me you need to talk to your therapist to get over your traumas because that's why you're that's probably a reason why you're having the symptoms you're having and now i'm backtracking and i'm thinking of the things my parents have done to me and the things that i've done to excuse them like they hit me but i was an unruly child or i just had opinions but maybe they were wrong or things like that and the more I think about it, the more I think, okay, I'm defending my parents because I love them, but obviously they had done things to me that weren't the best, but <laughs> but now I'm stuck in this weird limbo where it's I have to acknowledge it in order to mentally heal. 
like what do you think what do you think like how is your mother's um, impact on you how has that influenced who you are today I think of, of all the things I do think that she's probably the most um significant um element when it comes to like my mental health she really has like this kind of way of pushing my buttons um and it is probably tied to like the upbringing and just like feeling suppressed without um ever really having the opportunity to express like you know because like there's in in my, at least my household i didn't feel like there was a level ground of communication it was just like if you got hit you accept it there was no apology there's no like full explanation on why you deserved it um there was no conversation and and like if we if i would try i felt like she would attack me and um just like make me feel like uh like none of my issues were ever at quite as big as what she was going through or what her life was like you know like the kind of like oh you're just too emotional like like you're such a crybaby like like oh you never even you don't even know what it means to live a hard life kind of like thing and i get it like she's lived a hard life but like it just felt very invalidating and i think that's that probably plays like a, a big role on like like if we're if we're talking about like the effects like probably my need like my people pleasing is probably one of the the results of not not feeling like um accepted by my mom that that sounds really hard do you find like comfort like in a community like do you have a community that you can talk to about things like that because i i've noticed like since especially with the pandemic that i am a very lonely person like Um, one reason I started this podcast was because I wanted to be able to reach out to people, not just, you know, people to talk to, like for my podcast itself, like you, but for my listeners. And, you know, I have friends who I contact on the daily now, whether through phone or through text or through FaceTime, because it's just been so hard. And I'm realizing, um, I, I, I just went through like a pretty severe traumatic of, uh, week where I didn't have my medication. Um, and that sort of like triggered a ton of things that I was dealing with before. And dealing with that, with my new homework, with my therapist, reliving past traumas, taking care of like my inner child, it's been incredibly daunting. And it's really hard when you don't have a support group. Yeah, I think... Um... I think I never really had a consistent um, support group. Like, so I felt like at one point in in childhood, I was like a different person. I was I wasn't always like so pushovery. I was actually very like fiery and opinionated. And then at one point, I there was like some like, and this was like in one of those episodes at night when I was like crying myself to sleep, and I would do this very often. Is like. Um, and it usually would be like episodes of like disrespecting my mom or whatever I did to trigger her into like hitting me. And then I would just like do, um, it was like this kind of like routine almost like, like she would hit me. I would like the only place, the only room in our house was the bathroom. 
that locked. And like, I shared a room with her and my sister, my uncle and my brother shared a room. So that was like the, the living situation that we were in. So there was like no privacy. Um, so I would just like cry for like an hour on the, on the bathroom floor and then go to bed and just like try to sleep it off and like not deal with anyone, not talk to anyone. And so I think those have, that kind of routine probably built like some bad habits, like, you know, relationship to like my need for napping and sleeping and like feeling tired all the time, partly. Um, But yeah, like in terms of like friends and stuff, I feel like, sorry, getting really emotional. (laughs) It's all right. Um, Like, I felt like um, I never really had like a really good friend that was like a true friend. And and I think um, growing up on watching like, I guess, anime and stuff like that, I was like, my standards for friendship were kind of high because it's just like, like the way they depict friendship in like anime is so like <laughs> idealistic and it's like, oh, I'd die for you kind of thing. And like, I never really even, like I felt like nobody would even come over if I wasn't feeling well, you know? And they, like live a mile away and so like I don't think I ever really had a good support system and I always felt like black sheep in every group that I I was part of and in high school it got kind of bad because I was like it wasn't even just like superficial friendships anymore it was like friends literally being mean girls like oh wait, like she can't hang she can't hang out with us like I'm not gonna be in the picture if Monica's gonna be in the picture like like stupid shit like that and like, like I, I think like I'm, I can dissociate sometimes and like be professional and like do what I need to do, um, and and in a way be high functioning even though I'm like depressed or like like experiencing anxiety. But yeah, I think it like my upbringing really affected like the way I view like human relationships and like trust issues. Yeah, I, I feel that way too. Like I, I wasn't allowed to have friends growing up. For example, I was, my parents were like just true, like fear mongers of human trafficking, for example. And I, I didn't have siblings for the longest time, so I was the much older sibling who was like a third parent. I didn't have anyone to talk to about things like that. And I was taught, for example, by my father, he tried to teach me self-love in a way that's... One second. Uh, it's hard to think about but he taught me that the only people who will love you in the world are your parents because they're biologically programmed to love you and yourself so you have to love yourself because no one else is going to love you and that has always been stuck in my head i've only told probably about four people this including you and you know, I understand that he wanted me to have love for myself, which is very important, and I agree with that. But what he really instilled in me was, you're an unlovable person. And that has been stuck with me for a very long time. And I told that to my therapist, and he just said, wow. And he really couldn't really say anything. And 
And sometimes I think with when it comes to like the whole this is such a flimsy segue, but like the whole veganism thing, I think it can be it can it can kind of it can kind of fill the spot, like the void where you don't have love or compassion because I think that's also like what you needed when you needed friends. You don't need friends, you need love. And with veganism, I think veganism is all about love and compassion because, you know, at our core, all we're doing is trying to do the least harm possible in this world. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's not as simple as just don't eat meat, don't eat eggs, don't eat dairy. It's a lot more complicated than that. And so I found solace on and off through my veganism. Like, did you did you feel like any sort of self-validation or did you, I guess, kind of find yourself or anything when you became vegan? Um, I think one of my challenges in in like my mental health and life in general is like I've always been really like existential um, ever since I was like a young child. But like in a way, it, it's like it's different from like being like, oh, nothing like because I'm also nihilistic. So it's like. It's one thing to be like, nothing matters. I'm just going to commit crime because nothing matters. I'm not going to get punished for it. Because I was like the opposite. I was like, nothing matters. I don't really believe in a God. I don't believe in the heaven. So in a way, it's like, why well, do all this good deed? But for me, I was like, I don't really want, I don't really want to be a part of this earth. But as long as I'm here, I'm going to try to do like, I'm, I'm going to try to impact it as a, at the very least. So it's kind of like, I almost like and in a way in i guess before i was like i wanted to make the smallest print on the on the world as possible like like because like i felt like i didn't matter like i didn't want to leave a mark because i didn't think anyone would remember me yeah i <laughs> i've definitely I know what that's like. I kind of started this podcast too because I felt like I didn't have a voice or a voice that no one wanted to hear. And you know, I'm I'm stuck. I'm stuck at home, wondering like, will I get into graduate school? Will I make my family proud? Will I make myself proud? Will I make myself happy? And in the end, does that really matter itself? Because when when it comes to nihilism, it's it's relieving in a way. Because you don't have to, like, for me, hope is a double-edged sword. Hope is so heavy to carry. And when you lose hope, it is so, it, it becomes so much exponentially heavier to pick back up again and try to move forward again with that hope. Yeah. So that's why, yeah, that's why I'm, like, doing this podcast because because I am in a moment where I, I want to have hope. I want to think that I can positively impact the world where I do have a voice that people would want to hear. And maybe I can not change minds, but at least get people to think and maybe get them to think in a way that is positive. Like maybe our world is worth saving and maybe I can do something about that. Maybe I can do something to help save the world even if it doesn't seem like doing something like being vegan would do anything, it actually does make a difference.
Okay, so during our intermission, we were talking about therapy, and I had mentioned that my therapy is this 80-something-year-old white man who... David, if you're listening to this, um, hi, this is my podcast. (laughs) You're a really good therapist. But I had been wondering, um, should the time come that I need a new therapist? You know, I had been thinking about getting, like, an Asian therapist, someone who I can relate more to. Because David is, my my therapist is really good. He's incredibly understanding um, of what he can and can't understand. He didn't have an upbringing like I did. He, but he's always, um, he's always upfront about saying, I don't know about Eastern cultures, but from what I've seen, you have a lot of more focus on family, whereas Westerners have more focus on the self, on the individual. And uh, Moni, you had mentioned that you had been to a therapist before. Would you consider going to one again? And what would you hope to gain from it? I feel like I would, but I I didn't have a great experience. He didn't feel like somebody who really enjoyed his job and I by sitting in his office I felt like I could really see some of the issues he was struggling with so it didn't really make me feel um like he was in the position to help me and I think in a way he was just he was so focused on like trying to find my trauma um like like it should be some kind of very big traumatic and physical um like abuse story or something, which I'm not going to share so much, but um, but in a way he was just telling me like, oh, it, it seems like you had a pretty normal life. Like, like telling me that by coming, like it wasn't valid for me to be seeing a therapist. And that just felt really weird. Like he just thought that I had like some hypersensitivity and like reactional response that like I was a crier um, because that was the, the first session our experience was like I was just crying a lot and like just by talking about very normal things about like my upbringing and stuff but like we really didn't really get that um deep into any of like what I wanted to talk about because I felt like he already had made his opinion or judged me so like we kind of ended it at three sessions and I think I've been hesitant to go to another therapist because it also took me so long to go because I've been struggling with this all my life, but, and it was it was bad in high school, but it was manageable. Like, I think I was able to just kind of sleep it on, under the rug, like, and um, sleep a lot and just like deal with it whatever way I could. And then in, in college, it got a lot worse. And then after college, it kind of like calmed down a little. So I thought I was gonna be fine. I thought it was just like the stress of school. I think your doctor, I think your therapist was terrible. If you were crying throughout your first session, that's a clear indicator that you need help and that you're like willing to like seek it. Well, um, I think that was the first and second. There was like, and then I think, cause we like, we we're like, it could be like a chemical thing, whatever we're going through. Um, and the first session was when I really like, that's when I decided I need help. So it was like a lot more severe but as like by the third session I think I wasn't crying so much and what he had um the homework for that session was to bring in um my art 
and and some of my writings and like my writings can get really depressed and i already like kind of told him like oh it's it's pretty dark it gets like you know like i'm the most honest in my writing and it's it's like the most truth you can get from me is when i write and he was like i was like i don't know i mean we talked about some of these things do you want to read it he's like no and then um he was like i do want to see your art though and so i showed him like my like my college portfolio and things like that and he was like like oh this is impressive oh this gives me some hope kind of like he was validating my right to live like oh you 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 do deserve a spot on this earth cuz you can draw and like you have talent and then i was just like like it was so weird that experience was so weird to me cuz i went in like like on the verge of like wanting to like disappear off this earth and then like i was in such disbelief at how bad this therapist was that i was like like i almost want to continue to live like despite his like <laughs> his diagnosis or whatever um well it sounded like yeah. in a, it sounded like in a way then then maybe it was reverse psychology and it worked i don't know but yeah it was just like i feel like it was like unproductive like he didn't know what he was talking about but he did um refer me to a psychiatrist who prescribing medicine but that guy was i think that was just a sad office like yeah. i don't know what they were getting paid or what what their deal was with the medical insurance but everybody yeah. there was depressed and sad yeah the psychiatrist yeah. saw me for 5 minutes and he was just like well based on the notes from your therapist it sounds like you have bipolar 2 which he i i brought that up i i didn't i basically self diagnosed i don't know if i'm right i just suggested maybe that's what i had <laughs> he was like, "It sounds like that's what you have, so I'm just gonna give you these meds." And I was like, "Like, can you explain like what these meds are for?" And he was like, "Well, it sounds like you want help, and you're not feeling well, and these medicine, this medicine is gonna make you feel better. So I would suggest you take it." And then he smiled once in the five minutes, and it was the creepiest smile. That sounds. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's not that's so. That sounds really rude to like pass you off. Like I want to know what chemicals I'm going to put in my body that you're prescribing and you're not going to do me the favor of telling me that. You know, I I've told I've told the story on this podcast so many times, so I'll I'll make it short and simple. But I had a psychiatrist about 4 years ago and no, 3 years ago. And after talking to him for about 10 15 minutes he said you have depression and he gave me a bunch of antidepressants and they didn't do anything and then i was late to an appointment and then he terminated me and then i didn't want to see another psychiatrist for the longest time cuz i thought there's no hope antidepressants don't do anything for me the, the, i'm just a depressed person that's just who i am it's not going to get better and then my doc my physical doctor said you need to see a psychiatrist because you're having suicidal thoughts And then I thought, okay, I'll do that. And then um my friend who I told my friend who has bipolar 2, uh I'm going to go see a psychiatrist again. And then he said, "Ask ask your new psychiatrist if you have bipolar disorder or to check for it because I noticed yeah. things about you and I wouldn't be surprised if you also had bipolar 2." And then I did my research on bipolar 2 and then I went to go talk to my my new psychiatrist and I said by the way my friend thinks I might have bipolar disorder can you help confirm that and then she asked me questions and then I 
luckily I had kept like I was journaling like how my days had been like I've been ranking every day from like terrible not good okay great or a fantastic day and she noticed like the pattern of my bad days to good days that I was having it looked like a bipolar chart like you're having these depressive episodes with these really lows like low lows and then you get like sparks of like adrenaline energy serotonin whatever happy days and she was like those are manic episodes yeah yeah so that's how i learned that i had bipolar too yeah i i don't journal um but i when i went in i thought that that was what i was because um and i don't know i, I guess like if, if you really look at it it could be tied to certain like childhood moments too but like I would, I would escape because I was just so depressed a lot of the times, even through childhood, by sleeping. And it was also like the one thing that I could count on. That because like my mom sometimes would be so strict, and she's like, "Oh, if you're awake, you're not doing anything. You better be helping. You know, like you better be doing a chore." And um, I felt like so overworked as a child because I was the youngest, but I was like doing so many things, like taking care of my elder like siblings, like doing favors for my sister but that was like more minimal but like I was really like the caretaking for my brother like doing all his laundry and like excessive amount of things because of his lifestyle um and I I took I felt really taken for granted and stuff but like so the whole napping thing like she would always like I mean she would either think that it was because I was sick um or something was wrong and like be like kind of in worry which is like the one time I felt like she was like actually concerned for me um or like call it like lazy you know so then I felt like like I had a shame about needing to rest and sleeping because like I would like also stay up into the middle of the night so I had like procrastination issues going up um just avoidance issues of dealing with things but I would eventually always get things done like I I did well in school um, despite being diagnosed with ADD as a second grader, because um, I, I was I did really poorly like my early uh, primary years, but I I don't know what it is, and I don't know if they correctly diagnosed me with ADD, because it was just like a disinterest. I was actually probably like a smart child, because I would do things that would like that I knew for a fact in my head that would like get a, like I knew I would get away with it, like. And it was just like, cause you know, like kids just do what you tell them to do. But I was so defiant that like, like I wouldn't be openly defiant. I was defiant internally. I was like, no, I'm not going to do my homework. What are you going to do about it? There's absolutely like no, um, there's no um, negative impact as a first grader. I was like, oh, I lost it. Oh, I don't know. I forgot it at home. And those would like always come off as my issues to like authority figures but like in my head it's just because I didn't want to and like the disinterest like to them it seemed like ADD because I was like playing with erasers instead of like answering questions on the worksheet right and things like that because I was just like was, wasn't interested and like I didn't have like a compassionate member of the family doing homework with me every night I was kind of like on my own right and kind of like the, the you know neglected childhood because not because like I wasn't not because my mom didn't love me, but like she loves me in her own way. But she was also really busy because she was like a single mother going to night school. So it was just like, like 
my brother and my sister did well at school and I felt like the dumb one, like academically challenged um, all the time. But yeah, like um, I think we were talking about um, bipolar. <laughs> Sorry, oh, went okay. on a tangent. That's okay. Um, so yeah. No, I was saying it's okay. Oh yeah. So then um, I guess like I I just noticed in the young ages, I think it was really hard to keep track of what was going on. I just felt like I was really sporadic, like, and I didn't know if it was because of ADD or just like something wrong with me, something else wrong with me. But I didn't really fully address it as like, because I don't think we really think about it that much when we're younger, but when we're in high school and college years is when we really try to like discover ourselves and like really understand ourselves better and, and kind of like, like try to, um, I guess, hold ourselves accountable. Like if we're feeling like shit, like what can we do to fix it instead of just like ride the wave? Cause I used to just ride it, ride it. Like I didn't think there was any other option. I didn't think talking to somebody would make it better. I would just do whatever I thought it would take. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sleeping or what self-medicating basically. Um, and so by the time I had graduated college and um, things like life got a little smoother, I had a job and everything was like pretty normalized. I, I didn't feel like extra overworked. Um, so I felt fine until one day just like it all started coming back in like large waves. So then I thought that like that's when I decided to see a therapist but like I did also notice like in like more like small um like like they weren't like huge depressive um I don't know it's hard to explain because like I would just like be unmotivated during days like it just didn't seem serious and to my ex he thought like I felt like to him he probably thought I was just being lazy or unmotivated and um so there were like days where like he'd be like oh let's go do something I'm like oh, I don't feel like it you know and then um and then like days where I'm like super productive I'll like jump out of bed I'm like oh all of a sudden I'm like today I want to build a shelf and I would go and I'd build a shelf for like like it'd be a week-long process uh project and I would like get it done be super proud and then like go on a three-month break so I thought that that might have been what it was that sounds a lot like bipolar 2 disorder to yeah. me yeah yeah maybe it is I think I think this is more related to bipolar one, which is the much more extreme. Um, yeah. Bipolar one has much stronger manic episodes, whereas bipolar two is known more for its depressive episodes, which is why we're why which is why we're often misdiagnosed as having depression, like I was. But there's a video game that I really like. It's one of those you know just walk walking simulators where you just it, it just tells a story. There's no like you don't need to be like. You know, you don't have to like have good video game aim. You just want to have to like play for fun. But it's called Night in the Woods, and one of the characters is hinted at being by bi as having bipolar disorder. And my favorite way that he described it, where he doesn't know, uh, he he was never diagnosed in the game, but something he said really resonated with me, and it was, I have like really high, like really good good days like really high days and i get really low low days and it's not until the end of the day where i realize which kind of day that i have and i think that's a good way to think of like you know yeah how was your day 
And when you really think about it, oh my God, like how was my day? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should probably do some kind of like tracking of like, of that since it, since it seems like it, it helped you figure yeah. out. Can I, sh- um, yeah. In fact, so the po- um, the podcast listeners can't see this because, but we're talking through video chat right now. But I'm gonna show her, um, Moni. This is an app that I use, which is hard to see because of the lighting. Hold on. <laughs> oh yeah, I see it. Okay. So it's there's a bo- there's a square for every day of the year. And on it, you color code it red for a bad day, orange for a bad, uh, for a worse, like a red is a really bad day. Orange is a bad day. Yellow is an okay day. Blue is okay. And green is a terrific day. And if you notice on mine, I usually have red days like every month. Yeah. And shortly after the red days, I'll have good days. So if you notice after the red, they'll like after a few days there'll be some blue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's called Year in Pixels and it's free. There's a lot of ads, but you only need to use it like you just need to like click on the square, color code it, and then that's it. And uh, how do you use that? It's uh year year in pixels. Oh, you are in pixels? Year. Oh, year in pixels, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if it wasn't for this app, I probably would not have gotten the correct diagnosis and I wouldn't have been able to get the medication I needed. Because another thing about bipolar disorder is that it affects your memory. My doctor, she told me, um, because a lot of times the reason why we get misdiagnosed is because we don't um, remember our good days. Also, we don't talk about it. We're like, I feel really depressed. I feel suicidal. I'm having suicidal thoughts and like life isn't worth living. You're not going to be like, oh, but I had this one random really good day where I like spent $200,000, which is something what someone with bipolar disorder would do would be like spending a lot of money, gambling, risky behavior, risky sex, sexual behavior, things like that. So it's a good way to mark it down. So well, like, I mean, I, I feel like I've had, like, good days where it's, like, oh, like, I hung out with a friend and we had, like, a really good time. And then, like, um, and then it'll, like, quickly flip because, like, and then, like, the day after, like, I asked if they wanted to hang out again. And then they told me they were too busy. And then I didn't see them for a month or something like that. And then that would, like, ruin your month. Like, for me, at least sometimes. Yeah. Like, um, but yeah, I should definitely make note of that but i don't know if i don't know exactly if i have bipolar but even if you don't i think and this is for everyone listening even if you don't have a mental illness your mental health is just as important as your physical and emotional health you should get like a routine checkup i think with a psychiatrist or a therapist just to like make sure you're doing healthy mentally up here not just your body okay well, like, I, I feel like i definitely have something it's probably yeah. like borderline personality or that that's the next one that i was looking at okay well i hope well i hope i've been a positive influence on you to maybe take better care of your health okay so before i let you go i'd like to ask you like what do you think of like the future of veganism 
Like, where do you see the future? Like, I think the world is becoming more and more vegan. But at the same time, I'm kind of scared. Like, with what Bill Gates was saying, you know, we we need to eat more, like, plant-based meat. I feel like after what happened on January 6th, I'm scared of, like, the potential of humans. Like, how how much, like, protesting is going to happen. How much people are going to be like, I can't eat this. Like, what is the actual backlash that will happen with our future and veganism well i guess like i don't like seeing it as some kind of big radical like push um because i mean I, i'm sure there are people taking more radical approaches but i feel like it's slowly trickled into our society where it's so acceptable and accessible that in a way i think it's just going to be the new truth you know because i feel like Civil rights has been something we've been fighting for for forever. And and there's still groups of people who are underrepresented and still don't have the rights that they deserve. But it's like a slow thing that we continue on um on like, you know, offering in my in my opinion it's like offering people and just like being genuine and compassionate about it instead of like pushing it down people's and I find people are a lot more receptive to it when you're like hey I brought food it happens to be vegan would you like to try some whereas it's like um if we're eating together you can't order meat you know like there's just like so many approaches and I feel like um in a way I feel like people are just going to wake up one day and and not like wake up one day but just like they're slowly gonna realize how insignificant meat is to their like to their survival and that they can eat more vegetables. Cause like, like every day when I hang out with like non vegan friends, they're like, if food tastes so like this, I could eat this every day. Like they always say that, but it's just like, like slow exposure for them to really like want to implement it into right. their own lives. That's a very optimistic uh, viewpoint on it. And I appreciate that. Okay. Okay. So two last little lighter questions before, yeah. um, if you could dine with anyone in the world, who would it be? And what would you serve them? Oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not like, I like some celebrities, but not like, I'm not like super starstruck or like obsessed with anyone. So I, at the end, I feel like it's just like somebody who I really love. Um, could so be probably- like, maybe like a teacher who had an impact on you or maybe your, maybe your father. Yeah, maybe my father. That would be nice because I never knew him. Yeah. What would you serve him? Your dim sum? I would. I would serve him my dim sum. I actually don't know what his favorite foods are. It's probably something meat, but I, I would ask my mom what it was and I'd veganize it for him. It's oh. probably something like the, the roast pork or, you know, roast pork or like baking duck or something like that. It's mm-hmm. probably his favorite. I would probably do that and veganize it for him. And okay. also have him some because he has to be proud of me and my business, right? <laughs> right. Okay. And the last question I have for you is, today, what is your favorite animal? Today, what is my favorite animal? Um, I guess dogs right now because I'm in love with my dogs. Aww. <laughs> I love dogs. But yeah, I, mean, I don't know. Like the whole like speciesism thing also like bothers me. I think like, yeah, everyone can have a favorite animal, but I think yeah um oh they all have a right to live in my opinion 
It's just, you know, yeah, I like to ask what's your favorite animal today because I personally hate being asked what's your favorite animal or your favorite anything because I have so many favorites. But I just want to hear like today, like if you could like hang out with like an animal today, what would you what would you want it to be? And some people might be like, oh, God, I would love to hang out with a sloth right now. Oh, yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I guess it's like I love hanging out with my dog. So I don't know if that like if I had an opportunity to hang out with a unicorn, maybe I would choose the unicorn over my dog for that one day. But I'd have to go home to my dog. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a very fair statement. Okay, well, yeah. thank you for joining me on the Mental Vegan, Moni. Thank you. Okay, everyone, Moni, um, perpetrator of In- Inomoni uh, Vegan Dim Sum out in LA. So come get a bite because it is, I've had her food many times and it is delicious. Thank you. Okay. All right, everyone, have a nice day. Thank you again, Moni. Thank you.